by the encouragement of my note passer outer, I've condensed it to one page, so no staples are necessary, which means there's less on the page, perhaps. But we start with the gospel prayer that we ended with last week, and this week, as all good Baptists do, he started on the first part, and he'll go into that, which is, there's nothing I have done that could make you love me less, and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. And so, but... This has the whole gospel prayer on it. Someone last week pointed out that I did a poor job of putting that on the notes. So I put it, it's red on mine, and then I copied it and forgot to hit color. So in yours, it's gray. And I apologize for that. But um, number two, you are all I need for everlasting joy. Number three, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. Number four, as I pray, I'll do so according to the compassion you've shown at the cross and the power you demonstrated through the resurrection. Those are, those are the rest of the prayer. But today, he pretty much camped out on point number one, which is there is nothing I have done that could make you love me less, and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. Uh, which means that this gift of righteousness is what I like to call a sheer gift. To many people, the thought of righteousness is like the thought of moral perfection, something that is unattainable, something that because it is unattainable is also threatening, and because it is perceived to be something that is expected of us, something we can never accomplish, and so it's seen as failure. However, you know, so those people may see it as like a repulsive overtone, something like that, because righteousness is associated with hypocrites and people who are self-righteous. But because of that negative thought, many of us pass over the references to righteousness. And, but the Bible teaches us that our righteousness is a gift. The gift is God's abundant provision. It is something that he gives us, not something that he requires of us. Now, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you're not called to live holy life that that is something we are supposed to do but when we talk about righteousness in the bible it is not it, when it says abraham believed god and that was accounted to him for righteousness it doesn't say abraham did all these things and therefore he was deemed righteous what why was he declared righteous because he believed god the belief in God is what establishes our righteousness. Righteousness is a gift we receive, not a reward we achieve. So, uh, I put some references on here. And you will notice, most of the notes are just Bible verses. So, uh, I have them, and I will, I can read them. If I, I will read the first one, Romans 3, 19-22, because it's like four verses, and some people don't want to read all four. And the scriptures read this way. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness, of, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So it says in here, the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, For those of you who may listen to something that comes out weekly that I talk on, you may have heard me use the illustration of a doctor. And the guy goes into the doctor and the doctor says, you've got cancer. And the guy gets mad at the doctor. He's like, what do you mean I got cancer? How dare you tell me I have cancer? I don't want to have cancer. Cancer stinks. And we think, well, that's ludicrous. Who would ever do that? And yet, a lot of us do that with sin. We get mad that the law exposes where we've sinned. And that's what the law is. It says the law, by the law, is the knowledge of sin. There's a knowledge that we have sinned that comes from the law. And it makes us know that we need God. But now it says, now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. So while the law shows us where we're sinful, Christ in his perfect life, his righteousness, is what we can rest on and know that we have righteousness as a gift, a sheer gift, if you will. Does anyone want to look up Romans 5.17? You're like, I've heard you talk enough, West. I want someone else to read this. For if because one man's trespass, death resigned to that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Okay. So it says, if by one man's offense, death reigned by all. And we know that's true. How do we know? Because everyone dies. You've never met someone yet who either hasn't or won't die. We all will die. That's part of how life works. And it took one man's sin. And then, uh, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. So how, so even as one man's sin cursed us all, one man's righteousness overcame that curse, started to undo that curse, and will one day completely undo the curse. Okay? So this righteousness is a gift, a sheer gift. And so then the question is, well, whose righteousness is it? Has anyone, does anyone remember Philippians 3.9 from when they may have memorized it? <laughs> so, this is Paul writing. He says, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which would be of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So whose righteousness do we have? We have God's righteousness. God's righteousness. Does anyone want to look up 2 Corinthians 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right. There's a there's big theological words that people like to use, like maybe imputation. I know how much Pastor Travis likes the big words. Um, but basically, Jesus had no sin and he became sin. He took on our sin. So when, when he died on the cross, you remember the whole scene of God turning his back on Jesus because Jesus was bearing all our sin. And that's, he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become his righteousness. And if you remember what, uh, what the book was talking about that was read so poorly, uh, we, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we would so that our penalty is paid, so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Right? All right. So the next question that everyone has is, well, I've done a lot of bad things. I'm continuing to do bad things. I've read Romans 7, and all those bad things I'm doing, they're, they're continuing. I, I'm just continuing to do them. I don't want to do it. I struggle. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, uh, those things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I just can't seem to kick this sin habit. That, that last sentence is a paraphrase. Okay. It doesn't say, I can't kick this sin habit. That's, that's, a, that's a Westism. Okay. So, when, when, when he talks about it, we... So we continue to do bad things, but does that mean that the gift of righteousness we have goes away? Well, does anyone have their Bible open to Hebrews 10? If you do, okay, Miss Barbara, you, you can read verse 10 and then stay there because I'll have you read verse 14 in a minute. So it says... It says that we uh, are sanctified through the offering of the body for six years until we commit 734 sins. Is that what it says? What does it say? Once for all. So does his gift go away? No. No. We, we continue to receive that gift. If God has made you righteous, then nothing can make you unrighteous. When God says he'll do something, he does it. That's kind of the thing. Not even if you mess up and make a mistake and do something stupid. Or, as I would like to say, not even when you mess up and make a mistake and do something stupid. And if you're me, that happens much more frequently than for others. But messing up, doing stupid stuff, making mistakes, all of those things are bad, but even when that happens, there's nothing you can do. How, do, how does that go again? Uh, who, who's got the prayer handy and can read number one? There's nothing I have done that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. Okay. 
So that's, there's nothing I've done that could make you love me less. All right, and so, Miss Barbara, can you go all the way down to verse 14? For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So he perfected us, again, until 739 sins, until next Tuesday, or forever, forever. When you are sanctified, that perfection is forever. So it, it is true that we need to live more like Christ. We need to reflect him more and more in the things we do. That is true. It's also true that if it were dependent on us to live that perfect life, we wouldn't do it. If it were dependent upon us to earn our way to heaven, we wouldn't do it. I had a teacher in high school who liked to use the analogy that we all are lining up on the East Coast of the United States, all the way from Key West up to Maine, okay? We're all going to line up there, and we're going to go into the Atlantic Ocean, and we're going to swim to Europe or Africa or wherever we get. How many of us would make it? Now, his theory was that no one would make it. Now, there may be someone out there who could. I don't know, but I tend to doubt it. But does that mean that we're all going to die at the same place? Well, no, some of us will get further. I say some of us. Some of you will get further than me. Probably all of you will get further than me. Uh, some people will get further. Some people will get, but they all die. And this is what it's like trying to earn your way to heaven. It's like trying to swim to Europe. Can we, can we swim to Europe? Well, again, none of us can make it. And the fact that some of us got closer, what have you accomplished by getting 30% of the way instead of 10% of the way? Still You're still dead, right? And so when it talks about this, uh, that when he perfects us, we will not make it on our own. We cannot make it on our own. And yet... Uh, we, we make it through Christ. Now, what is the gift of righteousness? Uh, justification. Now, I went to law school, so I've got to throw in terms. So two of these three subpoints use the word legal or a form of it in there. Legal acquittal. So legal acquittal. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. So Romans 3... I'm going to read a lot of Romans 3, and you'll see under justification, it's also there. So I'm just going to read Romans 3, and this describes our lives pre-conversion. And I'm going to start at verse 9. If you want to follow with me, you can. Sometimes I'm tough to follow because I misread a lot of words. All right. So Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 9 reads this way. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When we talk about being acquitted, this isn't a situation where someone comes in to a courtroom and the judge says, yeah, I'm going to pronounce you not guilty. That's not the situation we have in the Bible. We have the situation where the judge says, I pronounce you guilty. And then, after that says, and I am taking the punishment for that guilt. The judge doesn't gloss over our sin. I don't know how many of you caught the, just how bad... Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That describes someone who is godless. There is none righteous, no, not one. And you say, glad it doesn't describe me. And then you get to verse 23 where it says, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. It does describe us. It describes all of us. That is how we are. And God has pronounced us guilty. But then it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have been acquitted, not because our sin is glossed over, but because the punishment is paid and is paid in full. Pastor Travis was talking to me earlier this week about a situation where someone was, was allowing someone else to build up a tab of money that was owed, buy, buy groceries on credit, buy them on credit, buy them on credit. And then eventually that bill is coming due. And what did the, and what did the guy who held the, bill, held the bill did? He ripped it up and said, you don't need to pay it. It's not that he didn't recognize that there was payment that needed to be made. It's that he made the payment himself. We don't serve a God who doesn't care about what we do. We serve a God who cares so much that he paid the penalty for the bad things we do. So we have been acquitted, but not in a legal acquittal sense that we haven't, that not in the sense that we, that it doesn't matter, but in the sense that someone has paid, um, someone has paid that penalty for us. Okay, so then what happens is we are pronounced legally just. 
And there's a passage in Hebrews, but it's really lengthy and we don't have a lot of time. And you know, So if someone can look up Jeremiah 23.6. Jeremiah 23.6. Does anyone have that? Okay, go ahead, Miss Barbara. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So what is the name by which we're called? The Lord our righteousness. A significant question about God's free gift of righteousness is, how can God, who is just, announce his acquittal of a person who is actually guilty? How can he treat such a person as innocent and still remain true to his own character and to the system of legal justice which he himself de defined and determined? In the practice of substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament, they would bring in an animal, uh, and that animal, they, they would bring in sacrifices, that had to be offered day after day, year after year, and were effective only on a ritual level. And then we have the death of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect substitute. It's permanent, once-for-all sacrifice. Some people will tell you we need to go back to the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And you know what I tell them? Read Hebrews. <laughs> okay? Because what Hebrews says very clearly is all these sacrifices, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to atone for your sin. But Christ, in that once and for all sacrifice, was possible. He made it possible. And he did that. Jesus Christ himself is our declaration of acquittal. He himself is the source and essence of God's not guilty pronouncement. The one whom we know as our Savior is our salvation. So when Je Jeremiah, anticipating the life and death of Christ hundreds of years previously, referred to him as the Lord our righteousness, he knew that he took our place under God's judgment. In this, God's justice is demonstrated. In this, God is both just and the one who justified. Sin's penalty is paid by the Savior. So where does that leave us on justification? Now, some of you have heard this. The word justified makes it justified never sinned, which, though grammatically incorrect, gets the point across. It's just if I'd never sinned. It's What's that? It, I like to put the word as in there, just as if I'd never sinned, but then that makes the word justified kind of... Anyway, anyway, but that is what justification is. Justification is the fact that we are no longer sinful. Um, we do sin. But the reality is, the substitutionary atonement that Christ gave for us is what we look to. And so how does this justification work? Well, we've already read Romans 3. You, you've heard it. And we climax with a verse of, uh, in verse 24, it was freely given by God's grace, that gift that paid for the sin where none is righteous and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I will direct you now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Does that, if anyone wants to read that. Some of you may have memorized it before, if you remember it. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Okay. 
So the catch cry of the Reformation in the 16th century was justification by faith alone, or sola fide, if you prefer. I don't prefer it because I don't speak Latin. But that was, that was the catch-all. It's the same justification by faith, the same gift of righteousness that be, needs to be rediscovered, reclaimed, and reaffirmed by Christians today. Okay? How are we made righteous? Well, through the gift of God. And then 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, don't receive that gift in vain. Uh, I, I always like to look to Romans 6 where it says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. So, we will leave you with that and then direct you back to the gospel prayer that is at the top of it. It's not in red on your pages. It's gray. I apologize once again for making those copies. But uh, there is nothing I have done that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. And you've heard that a lot today, hopefully. And the reason is because we think that's important. That is an important aspect of this prayer. And we're going to get to more of some of these other points. But it's important to recognize that your salvation, your righteousness is not based on what you do but it's based on what Christ has done. And when you start worrying about what you do and you fall into the trap of pride or, or uh, well, I forget the other one, but, uh, but what did he say that is? That's, that's the voice of Satan. Both Satan and the Holy Spirit will tell you about your sin. The Holy Spirit will tell you so that you can, he can sharpen you and make you better. Satan tells you so that you will become not reliant on the gospel. So let's close in prayer because I've gone over. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your gift. Pray that we would rest in it and realize that our identity is in you and not in something that we could accomplish ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.